1: Football League show, Joey Barton is a Sherpa, McCauley's gesture to young supporter is Trayvon, the Pilgrims press on and life's a beach for Chris as Carlisle make managerial moves. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, I'm Matt Davis-Adams. You may remember me from such Totally Football shows as the German Neil Warnock and the Buttock Region. With me today, our version of Itchy and Scratchy. First up, the former shrimp, a gunner and gator. Uh, is that what you were known as? At Margate, Adrian Clark?
2: <laughs> no, no one's ever called me Gator. No, that would be a bad nickname. I think I'd prefer to be called Itchy. Mm, I quite like If we're gator. going down that route, Itchy like, and Scratchy. Yeah.
1: yeah, Gator like alligator, strong. Anyway, alongside Adrian, our Chief Ranger, Sam Parkin. Hi,
3: Sam. Hello, Matt. How are you doing?
1: All right, thanks. Yeah, Uh, that Simpsons intro, by the way, was in praise of Tyrese Simpsons' goal for Swindon and also just because I loved the Simpsons up until Season 13 when it fell off a cliff. I digress. Uh, We should perhaps have introed you as Itchy and Statchy, though. Last time you were both on, Sam put the call out for producer Abby to create a musical montage of Adrian and his Stats. Well, she's delivered. We can hear it now. I'm a stat
2: man. Got a quick stat that, that might interest you. Something called passes per defensive action. The data is very strong. Stat. During the opening half hour, they're the worst team in League One. And they've got the worst expected goals against from open play. They've faced the fewest shots per 90 in the division. I swallowed some stats this week and had, had, a, had a look at. Shot ending high turnovers. The shot count was was zero to fourteen. Yeah, and I got a stat. Please with that? <laughs> I quite liked it, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, the stat man. Good work, Abby. I don't know how long that took her, but fair play. Um, yeah. I've swallowed some more, so um, yeah, ready yourself. <laughs>
1: Uh, Sam, did you have a standout moment from the from the weekend? I know you were at Forest Green Swindon. I suppose seeing your old boys plunder a fine victory will be high up there.
3: Yeah, right up there. No, I, I loved it because I, I think that was um, that was one of my first jobs uh, for television post retirement, Forest Green Swindon, uh, and they won two 0 on that occasion as well. So just good to be there. Good atmosphere. I enjoy going to. Forest Green to be honest um, even if it wasn't against one of my old clubs sampled the vegan hot dog and a vegan croissant which um, wasn't as good as the hot dog shall I say
1: yeah hot dog's easier to get right than stuff with buttering uh, I would assume anyway mm. no championship action this weekend there are a couple of news items worth bringing your attention to though Uh, EFL chairman Rick Parry says Premier League B teams in the EFL won't be a thing but the 3pm blackout could be done away with. Uh, Derby's administrators are hopeful of finding a buyer for the stricken club, which is good news. But it might be Mike Ashley, which is probably not very good news. Uh, Meanwhile, their administrators are appealing the Rams' 12-point deduction. Good luck with that. Uh, Elsewhere, posh boss Darren Ferguson has been given a one-match touchline ban after being found guilty of swearing at an official. What would his dad say? Something profane, no doubt. Uh, Coventry's Matt Godden's been given a two-game ban for that shocking dive against Fulham last week. Barnsley have closed the East stand at Oakwell due to safety concerns. It's the only original stand left from where the ground was built 130 years ago. And Ben Brereton-Diaz scored again for Chile. They beat Paraguay 2-0. el <laughs> Clarky, I saw a tweet from Archie Rintut, the journalist, today saying, "Who's going to play Ben brereton Diaz in the film of his life?" With every goal that he scores for Chile, we're getting
2: closer to that being a reality. I think <laughs> we are, aren't we? It's it's just, it is a a brilliant story, and it, and he keep, he's rising to every occasion that that comes his way, isn't he? I mean, this was a guy that was pretty much a sub for Blackburn Rovers, and a very average Blackburn Rovers side. He's added the Diaz and, and all of a sudden <laughs> there's a bit of swashbuckle about him and he, he can't stop scoring. So no, brilliant. It's um, yeah. G- good luck to him. I, I love that. And th- isn't that part of why we love football so much? Nothing is truly predictable. A lot of things are, you can see them coming a mile off, but every now and again, something random surprises you. And I think Ben Brereton Diaz, the name and Ben Brereton Diaz, the, the form player is, is a real surprise. Yeah,
1: good to know that somebody's had some success by adding a suffix to their last name. Um, <laughs> Sam, a two-match ban for diving for for Matt Godden. On the one hand, I'm thinking that's really good that that's actually been punished, but is two games a little bit harsh?
3: Um, no, I don't think so. It's a, it's a good deterrent for anyone who's um, thinking about doing it in, in games. Um, I, I think that players have probably got away with it for too long. I didn't like the the penalty award at uh, the game I was at actually, Forest Green Swindon, and that was a, a different type of gamesmanship, if that's the right terminology, leaving the leg in, which I think has crept into the game in the last few years, which is something I don't like either. So no, if it can have a positive impact and stop people from fooling the officials, then it's a positive.
2: Yeah, like I'm all for it. Definitely, because we want to eradicate diving and two games is definitely a big enough deterrent. But I feel a little bit like he's been singled out. It was the game on the telly and we all saw it. Lots of people were talking about it. But I'd like to see a little bit more effort being made to, to penalise other players that, that dive every single weekend and, and don't seem to get the same punishment. So I think Coventry fans might feel a little bit aggrieved because there are far more dives out there than, than those that are being punished, that's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if that precedent is followed for future cases.
1: Right, after this brief interlude, we'll chat through the weekend's League One action. <laughs>
0: So, Mr. Biassio, what's troubling you? Well, doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week, I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing. But with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet bet's only. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min four plus legs. Min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive. Teas and 18 plus.
4: You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
1: League One headlines. Plymouth and Wickham take advantage of others not playing to go top and second, respectively. Ipswich are on the up after taming the shrews. And in Yorkshire, Owls feasted on trotters. Let's start,
2: though, with the new leaders in League One.
1: Over now to our Plymouth Argyle expert,
2: Adrian Clarke. Plymouth, I worry a little bit for Plymouth. They, they they ended the season really badly, didn't they? They they they, they plummeted quite badly, and I, I rate Ryan low. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't think they've had enough of a sort of revamp this summer to make me think they're going to be that that good. So uh, yeah, Plymouth may struggle.
1: Many thanks to listener Andy Simmons for pointing that out. <laughs> we all do it, Clarkey. In fairness, and and I think the thing is with this. I mean, you tip them for relegation, which is which is totally different. But the fact we didn't have them amongst our promotion contenders was that maybe as much about the quality elsewhere in the division as it was about Plymouth. You know, all the all the big names in League One this season, Plymouth were always going to be a bit far down the rankings in terms of promotion talk. Yeah, look,
2: total hands up on that one. But there, no one, no one would have been tipping Plymouth for top two, maybe not even top six. Not even their own fans. They lost, they won two of their last 15 league games. So I think, on the back of a team losing two of the last 15 games, you're entitled to predict that they might struggle. But, but well done to them. The overhaul that has happened has been impressive, and the players that have come in have, have been excellent. So, yeah, well done. Well done to Plymouth. They're, they're a good attacking side, play some lovely football in that 3 5 2. Both into the pitch are working, working great. So, no, Plymouth Argyle, I got you wrong. I wish you all the very best for the rest of the season. But, yeah, it's a long season and and other squads in the division definitely run a bit deeper than Plymouth.
1: Uh, here's their midfielder, Jordan Halson, winning the award for generic post-match tweeted the week. He says, all caps, big three lowercase points, praise emoji. What an atmosphere. Enjoy your weekend, Green Army. Three green heart emojis. They're on... The longest unbeaten run in the EFL. Only Liverpool have played more matches without losing any. Uh, what they do have, Sam, which maybe could have tipped his off as to why they're doing so well, is a manager who knows how to get promoted. Ryan Lowe's done so in two of his three full seasons as a gaffer. Do you think that he's got enough to, to get them up and around playoffs, automatic promotion come May?
3: Yeah, I don't think anyone will be getting carried away. I think the playoffs will be an exceptional uh, achievement. As Clarkey just said there about the shape, when you look at the calibre of player that's been brought in and the type of player, it's probably to fit that that system. And I don't think we can say that about the recruitment at a lot of clubs in the EFL, but I think he's gone and cherry picked some really good players. I think Scar's been a, a brilliant sign in. Broom who was on loan at Burton last year, gets his maiden goal uh, this season for, for Plymouth. I think Agard in the absence of Jeffcott showed that he'll be a, a really good deputy for him. Uh, obviously Jeffcott and, and Hardy have been, you know, one of the success stories of the season so far. They've got a nice, it's a nice combination because they're very different players. So, and when I saw Plymouth last year, they are a good side. They weren't getting the results and and obviously, you know, coming into this season, they weren't one of the fancy teams because there's, there's sides with bulkier squads and and probably better budgets running, you know, in, in League One this season. So it is a surprise, but I do like the eleven. I think they've got Ennis to come back in. Obviously, Danny Mayer not played too much football. So there is some players in reserve. And, you know, I would say now the playoffs is a really realistic proposition.
2: Yeah, no, they're an excellent side. And in a three, five, two, if you're going to play that system, you need those wing backs to be <laughs> great at both ends of the pitch. And, and I think that, that they are, I mean, Connor Grant has been super, very creative player, scored a goal in this game, got a great left foot. And on the other side, it was interesting. The captain Joe Edwards was, was on the bench and Jordan Garrick on loan from Swansea played there and, and was outstanding, um, great engine. As well, so so no. It, when when they get the ball wide and they make that pitch big, Plymouth Argyle, they're they're a real handful to play against.
1: Difficult game for Burton Sam, but they're still in the top half of the league. But they, they've only won once since August. That's not sustainable, is it? They're going to start tumbling down the table if they don't find a way to rectify that form soon.
3: Yeah, and and the, the clean sheets have kind of deserted them as well. I think it's none in in six games now, and. I think I spoke on Thursday's pod about them setting up a bit conservatively uh, in games. And I felt this was the case here. They, they could have been completely blown away by Plymouth in that first half. And if it wasn't for some some uh, intelligent changes at halftime, I think he kind of matched them up in, in the shape and, and made a, a change. Harry Chapman coming on had a, had a real influence in the game. If um, maybe that would have done from the outset or they hadn't have been you know, so reluctant to get bodies forward in the first half, this this could have been a different outcome. So food for thought, I would say, from the second half performance, which was very good. And on another day would have seen them, you know, leaving um Plymouth with a with a point. But I, I think with the attacking quality he's got now, um, you know, players to come off the bench, Hemmings and Akins, and both really good goal threats, League One level, they they should be doing better in, in front of goal and um, we'll have to wait and see if that turns, especially because the uh, the other end isn't as watertight as it has been.
1: Uh, let's move on. A close run thing between Sheffield Wednesday and Bolton Wanderers at Hillsborough. The home side came out on the right side of a 1-0 scoreline, thanks to Lee Gregory's goal, midway through the second half. Uh, Adrian, you along with 23,000 others were on hand to witness it live. Were, were
2: Wednesday worth the win? It was a really even game. It was a strange match. I, th- I thought we saw some, some good football and some bad football. It, the, the, it really fluctuated. Sheffield Wednesday were definitely second best up until they scored. Bolton created most of the better chances. They definitely played some nice football. Really slick, Bolton, when you see them live, moving the ball quickly. But, but their end product was, was pretty woeful, actually, on the day. Sheffield Wednesday, I'm still trying to work out what they're style is what what the philosophy is they sort of fall in between a couple of of styles really what i thought on the day was that when they got the ball forward earlier to the front three they looked more dangerous and they unsettled bolton lee gregory was really good i thought he was probably the man of the match um real handful we know he's industrious he'd always graft and and he did that and, and he deserved his goal. It was a lovely ball in from Jack Hunt and, and he tucked it home nicely. But yeah, he deserved it. But I didn't think tactically either manager was very good on the day. Sheffield Wednesday went for back three. Darren Moore changed it at half time. They got worse, but then they scored and then they changed it back. And, and, and as for Ian Everts, he made a triple change midway through the second half and Bolton were terrible (laughs) on the back of it they they, they just they offered nothing in the last 20 minutes Wednesday held out comfortably so um, yeah it was um, kind of match that I think neither manager would have been fully satisfied with Um, I did speak to um, our favourite son here on the Totally Football League show Joe Crilly afterwards big Bolton fan of course afterwards I was talking about how good the football was up until the last bit and he said Clarkie that's what we are all fart, no s**t. <laughs> <shit. laughs> that is a very Joe Crilly quote. Um
1: Missy Joe. Uh, on his Bolton, Sam, lost three of their last five games and they've been against teams that will be contending for promotion. Rotherham, Sunderland and now Wednesday, you might think that they're in that category. They haven't managed a goal in any of those matches either. Is it a worry that they can't get a result against the teams kind of in and around them, to use a, a nonsense football phrase?
3: Yeah, if they've got aspirations of being promoted this season, I think that's a that's a that's a big ask, you know. D- d- despite how much admiration I've got for them and and the type of job that Ian Everett's doing, because I think they do play some brilliant stuff, but the goal scoring is an issue. Because I watched the, I wouldn't say the exa- the exact same game against Sunderland, but because they created a few more chances there than they did at Hillsborough. But you know, this has happened there. It, it's happened at, at Cambridge where they were we- well beating. It's uh, it's a reoccurring theme. They've conceded first in nine of their twelve games, which says to me that there is a little bit of a problem. Are they not able to break down deep line defenses? Are they have they not got enough good finishers? And Owen Doyle has been brilliant in the uh, lower tier um, consistently, but do they need someone to to just carry that burden with him? And and that's what I reckon they'll probably try and do um, if they were to bring some bodies in in January because Delfonso, Bakioko, the other options, not really out and out um, number nines for, for me. So, yeah, I think it's something that we're going to see continue until
2: maybe uh, Ian Abbott, uh allowed to do some winning and dealing. Yeah, Doyle was off the pace in this game. Everything that sort of came towards him, he's just hesitant, didn't quite come off for him. Yeah, I was surprised. In a sense, he didn't get taken off sooner. But but when Bakayoka came on, all they wanted to do was put longer balls into the box and and cross it for him. And, and they stopped playing the football that they played when Doyle was the sort of mobile focal point. So, yeah, I think, yeah, Doyle, Doyle didn't have his best day. I'll tell you what, Alpha Lyon, seeing him in the flesh was interesting. A really powerful player. He skips past opponents with ease. But in this particular game, it was that final decision that was off from him. But, but he's a real handful and uh, I think he's going to be integral to their prospects of of, of the playoffs this season.
1: Uh, now, we make no secret of our fondness for all things Wickham Wanderers on this pod. And so it was heartwarming to see the Chairboys extend their record-breaking seven-match winning streak at Adams Park. They saw off Gillingham by two goals to nil. This one all over after seven minutes following goals from Gareth McCleary and Brandon Hanlon. Might have been different. Clarkie, Verdane, Oliver not skied that penalty, which maybe should have been retaken. Looked like there was a Wickham player in the box to me, but overall another fairly comfortable win for Wickham who take advantage of others not playing and continue to rise up the table.
2: Yeah. Doing well, aren't they? On their own patch. That's for sure. Look, yeah. Even Steve Evans said no complaints. We lost to the better team. Didn't have enough quality. So yeah, if he'd have scored that penalty for Dane Oliver, yeah, they, they might've had a bit of momentum, might've shifted. But no, this match was, I think, exactly how you might have expected it. There's two sides with the lowest average possession in League One. They're in the top three when it comes to aerial duels one. So loads and loads of long balls, headers, second balls. And, and the first goal actually came from a goal kick flicked on by by Sam Vokes. And um, and, and it was tucked away by McCleary. So it, it was that kind of game. Neither team wins awards for, for aesthetics, but Wickham really, really effective. Good luck to them. The only thing I'd say is is with Wickham, they're right up there, aren't they, in the promotion mix. Look who they've beaten. Every win so far has come against a team in 11th or below. All of the points that they've dropped have come to sides in the top seven at the moment. So that's the one little question mark over Wickham. Can they, can they go and beat the division's best on a consistent basis? We'll have to wait and see.
1: Not loads of drama in the game, but plenty off the pitch. Wickham tweeting, could the owner of a white Mercedes return to your car in the upper tier? Your handbrake is off and the car park's on a hill. Uh, There was a positive update on this later, though. We have closure on the Mercedes story. Wedged in place by two traffic cones for the duration of the afternoon, the car was retrieved by its owner, who drove home happy after a record-breaking victory. So that's nice to hear. Uh, Now, on Thursday's show, Sam called Ipswich's game with Shrewsbury a must-win. And with Parkins' words ringing in their ears, the Tractor Boys harvested three points from their game with Shrewsbury at Portman Road. Uh, Sam, does this give them some hope for the future? One defeat in five. We said maybe Automatic's gone, but if they carry on like this, they'll keep moving up the table and, and playoffs should still be more than achievable.
3: Yeah I think vital to, to win when your rivals aren't playing and you know this makes them just six points away from the, the playoff pack now so it wasn't a brilliant performance. Uh, Paul Cook was quite scathing after the game really um, despite in his words the best 23 minutes of the, the season you know up to the point that Connor Chaplin scored but yet had to concede again and I read the stat six times in in all comps that they've gone in front and conceded within the next 11 minutes, five minutes on this occasion. So there's something there. But I don't know, I feel that Ipswich have been quite unlucky this year because they are conceding a hell of a lot of goals, especially at home. And I think the the shots against uh, only Rotherham have conceded fewer shots, which just says to me that people are scoring worldies probably like Wally did at the weekend and um, you know the goalkeepers I think have made the fewest saves as well at Ipswich Town so something doesn't add up right now and um, I felt that despite it not being the best performance you know 72% of the ball obviously you know 608 passes to 242 they it feels like they've got that confidence now um, especially at Portman Road and. Part of that as well is Macaulay Bond, who's just having one of those periods where everything he touches is is flying into the net. He's eight in seven now, nine for the season. You know, kind of, I'm sure he put a lot of pressure on himself given that it's a club that means so much to him as well. And I don't think he's always looked the most confident in front of goal. He looks to me as like someone who uh, misses the odd chance and it, it kind of plays on his mind. So he is somehow, I think, mentally in a brilliant place right now where you would maybe have expected him to go there and feel extra pressure considering it means so much. So he's in a great place and um, Shrewsbury had to be dispatched at the weekend because they're really poor right now. I think they've got a, a number of issues and um, yeah, going forward for them, they're, they're pretty lacklustre. So it was a game they had to win.
2: Yeah, following up on what Sam said, I, I've got another stat that might reassure Ipswich Town fans a little bit. It, it completely backs up. Sam's point, expected goals against in open play. It's a good measure of how you, how you, you know, you're set up defensively. They've got the best record. They've only been expected to concede five goals in open play so far. (laughs) They've let in 13, which is just ridiculous. There's no disparity like it right across any of the divisions. So they've been conceding worldies. They've been conceding from bad mistakes. I think yeah, I- Ipswich aren't in as bad a state as as some people think.
1: Uh, we mentioned Macaulay Bond there, a big good work fella to him. He celebrated his winner with 13-year-old town supporter Maddie, who he presented with a new Ipswich uh, earlier in the week. After hers was ripped by medics performing an emergency operation on her. Uh, one other note from that game: Shrewsbury striker Ryan Bowman spent the night in hospital after suffering from heart palpitations during the game. We wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, right, Abby. Give us some odds, please. Paddy Power. Who have they got in those hallowed uh, top two spots in League One come the end of the season? Is it Plymouth?
4: Uh, it is not Plymouth. No, they are way, way down at twelve to one to finish in the in the top two. So you know, Clarkey may still yet be right, but it is Sunderland and Wigan who are who are in the top two. It's not. Uh, surprised to hear that Sunderland six to five, Wigan fifteen to eight, and then Rotherham the third option in at twelve to five. Uh, we did just talk about Shrewsbury there, uh, so worth noting that them and Doncaster are the most likely to be relegated at five to six with Crew. Uh, currently, Paddy Power have Crew as uh, the third team in that relegation spot, eleven to ten.
1: Thanks, Abby. We'll pay a visit to League Two next.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
4: Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show.
1: In two headlines. FGR stay top, but they're only a point clear after they lose and Harrogate hit Scunny for six. Simon Weaver's team now the joint highest scorers in the EFL with Fulham. Saturday saw them hit six in League Two for the first time and in front of a record attendance at Weatherby Road. Elsewhere, Swindon go into the automatic places at Vale's expense. Bristol Rovers are up to 16th after scoring three in a game for the first time. Salford, a 17th. Gary Goya, and it's beach ball deflated as Chris is shown the door at Carlisle. The sky cameras on hand to see Forest Green Rovers and Swindon Town square off on Saturday lunchtime. Sam's old mob, Swindon got the W as we mentioned them, FGR do stay top despite the defeat. That uh, sound particularly impressive from Swindon, given they had five players on international duty, but still went to the league leaders and won.
3: Yeah, it was really, really impressive. Um, I think probably only two of those guys would have, would have started in terms of the ones that were away. And I was, to be honest, I was concerned about Ward coming in in goal for Wallacott, who's been exceptional, but didn't have to be concerned at all because of, he had a superb game, you know, capped it by, by saving a penalty at the end. So, yeah, testament to goalkeeping coach, probably keeping him wired in, ready to step in and put in a performance um, like that. But no, I I said before the game that I honestly felt what was about to unfold, would the outcome would probably be dictated by Jamil Matt because I think he's that important. Uh, Him and Steven's relationship, obviously, up front for Forrest Green's been sublime so far, but I thought that the back three handled him brilliantly. I felt the two wing backs of Forrest Green couldn't really impact the game too much. So again, well done to Ellis Anderlo and and Rob Hunt who came in on the right-hand side of of Swindon's back five for Kessler Hayden, who was away with England. Um, So they stopped Forrest Green. They had a few chances for Aitchison. So it could have been different. He had two big moments. Um, so would be interested to see if he remains in the side because he was in in the place of Ebu Adams but no, I, I felt defensively they were very good and I I was a little bit critical at halftime of Swindon going forward because I just felt it was a bit off the cuff there wasn't much plan um, but I thought that unpredictability in the end won the game because Harry McCurdy was the, the match winner uh, he had a free role to go wherever he pleased and I think it was that unpredictability that kind of cost Forest Green with the first goal. He makes a run into the box, not really too sure from a Forest Green perspective, who's supposed to be picking him up and Ben Gladwin's delivery. If anyone gets the chance to watch it back, it's not just put into an area. That's Ben Gladwin picking out the one red shirt who's made a dart into the box because he's that good with the ball and um, McCurdy finished it well. But from that point on, I I felt that there was only going to be one winner, really. Swindon looked more threatening going forward and more solid defensively. So it was a really impressive performance, whether it's sustainable, I doubt, just because of the depth. Um, I thought it was a brilliant performance. And, you know, it it could happen again. They could go on a run with that front two. But I feel that if they're in a position come January, one or two smart acquisitions could make it a real season to remember.
1: Uh, Sam mentioned sustainability there. Forest Green Rovers flashed up climate emergency warnings during the match on their LED boards. Uh, Clark, it's just an anomaly. I'm sure you love a stat, but both Forest Green's defeats this season have been 2-0 at home. You would expect them to put this behind them fairly quickly, but it's a a concern that those defeats have come at home. They have got Scunthorpe away next, which is quite a nice fixture to get back
2: on the horse. (laughs) Yeah, it feels like a gimme, doesn't it? Scunthorpe at the moment. Um, no, I wouldn't be concerned. I really wouldn't. Forest Green have been excellent until this point, been keeping lots and lots of clean sheets, and and they've been scoring tons of goals. That they just come up against a, a really well oiled Swindon machine in this game, and and that happens. And, and an inspired goalkeeper. I, I don't think there's any need to really have a, a forensic investigation in, into what went wrong here. It's one of those days where the opposition turn up and I, I, I may be even more optimistic than Sam about Swindon. I just think how, how well have they done given that they basically had no pre-season. Everyone talks about, oh, managers need pre-seasons and getting players up to speed, pre-seasons this, pre-seasons that. Ben Garner came in, I think a couple of weeks to go to the season and not many players yet here they are in, in the autumn and, and, and again, stats-wise They're up there, most open play shots in the division, most long passing sequences. So that's 10 passes or more put together at once. They've had 121 of those Swindon. The next closest is 77 Salford and Tranmere. That is, that is an incredible difference. So they're playing with real cohesion and confidence to pop the ball around. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's been a triumph of coaching really so far from Ben Job's not done. More to do, but but they're going in a great direction.
3: Yeah, it's now thirteen goals they've scored in second halves of games, and just one in the opening forty-five minutes. And we were trying to get our heads around it on on Saturday, and we actually felt that it was a it was a game plan to have a slightly deeper defensive line in the first half and almost see what Forrest Green have got, and then step up the tempo in the second period press higher with the, the aforementioned two strikers. And the energy difference between the two sides in that second period was so evident. And I don't know if this was anomaly in terms of the game plan, given the opposition, or if this is the way they've been setting up away from home, but it just felt that they ran all over Forest Green in the second half. So yeah, to to back Clarkie up, not only has he recruited a really good squad in a short space of time, but... He seems to know exactly what he's doing on the training ground, Ben Garner, to completely uh, contradict old Joey Barton's comments in the last two weeks.
1: We'll get to Joey Barton shortly. But the game of the day, no doubt about it, in League Two came at Gander Green Lane. The sensational Sutton story continues. Uh, Kobe Rowe, the stoppage time hero, as the home side clinched a 4-3 victory against Port Vale in what, what was Sutton manager Matt Gray's 100th match in charge. Unbelievable this Sam you know you you think that they didn't win any of their opening five games have now won five of their last six they're in a playoff position with a game in hand incredible turnaround
3: yeah they're absolutely flying and if you think back to the games they've lost I think they gave an amazing account of themselves on the opening day at Forest Green they should never have been beaten by Oldham at home they went searching for the winner at at 1-1 and got done with a sucker punch and they lost um, 2-0 Exeter which I think is the only time they've lost by more than one goal so they, they've been in absolutely every game. This was a, a show of great grit and resilience, tinged with some good fortune, you have to say, because it sounded like Port Vale absolutely kind of bopped them around in the in the first twenty minutes, half an hour. So they got a deflected goal. Um, there was obviously a bit of good fortune with a couple of the other goals as well, in terms of defensive mistakes and and, and an own goal from Garrity. So. They, they rode their luck a little bit, I think, in this game. But I, I thought it was really interesting listening to Matt Gray changing the tactics. They obviously, you know, are quite a direct side. I think they have had the least passes in the division by, by some way, the least completed short passes anyway. So they can go long, but I just felt it was really interesting saying that he was really hot on them switching the play in that second half, getting two V1s, fullbacks getting higher up the pitch. So, you know, tactically change one or two things and they get another three points. So um, they're going brilliantly and we've seen it before. Uh, We're seeing it now with Harrogate as well, Um, despite, you know, them having obviously a little bit longer in the league, but Sutton, it feels like are going to continue to surprise people. And and who knows? I think it would be, I think it would be a hell of a shout to say they're going to be in the, in the playoffs, but you know, it's been a brilliant
2: start to the season.
1: Not much difference, is there, Clarky, between the the top end of the National League and, and League Two, it would appear.
2: No, I think the gap's even smaller now than it was when I was a player. Yeah, most of the teams in the National League are full time, aren't they? So yeah, no, not much of a jump at all and and yeah, something something they're making a great fist of it. They really are. Just awkward to play against, aren't they? You see the long throws from both full backs. They'll put the balls into the box and ask questions. They've got a big tools center forward. Set plays are obviously huge for them. So, yeah, if you're not at it, if you don't work hard enough to stop balls coming into your box, and maybe Port Vale didn't work hard enough in the second half of this game, then then Sutton will will punish you. I've played against so many teams down the years like this. Sam probably has too, where they're just awkward and they're big and they're strong and they're, yeah, yeah, they just ask questions of you. And uh, yeah, Sutton, Sutton are one of those teams that are going to produce upset after upset I think this this season by by playing this way.
1: Last game we're going to look at saw Bristol Rovers ease the pressure on Joey Barton while simultaneously bringing to an end the reign of Chris Beach's Carlisle Gaffer. Rovers winning 3-0 in this one. Uh, Sam pointed us in the direction of Joey Barton's pre-match quotes, which were given to the Bristol Rovers YouTube channel. They were quite something. Uh, He said he'd been to church last week and had a good hour alone with my thoughts. I realised I've been sent here to help this football club out of the doldrums. Uh, Sent here to Bristol rather than to church, I think he meant. Uh, He then added, I know how to get up high mountains, to be a Sherpa. That's my job. To lead young lads up footballing mountains they didn't think they were capable of. Sam, it sounds like he he's hoping that he's created an atmosphere where he's a friend first, a boss second, and and what probably an entertainer third. <laughs>
3: uh, I think we we we've always known that he's had a probably had a Desiree quote or two on his office <laughs> wall, haven't we? <laughs> Certainly since he's been a manager, anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean he's trying he, he's trying everything. He's trying everything, and um came good for him at the weekend. Um, I noticed pre-match that he said he was going to use Brett Pittman in a um, in a different way this weekend. So I think, oh, maybe he's going to play as a number 10 um, like he did for Kenny Jacket a few times. Didn't get off the bench. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder how Brett's feeling this week if that was um, a bit of kidology maybe for the opposition manager. But um, yeah, he was the full guy in it, wasn't he? But yeah, just, you know, I've not, I've not watched this game, but I think looking at the certainly the the two wide boys or the supporting forward players in Anderson and Saunders and Collins up there, we know how good he was at uh, Forest Green previously. Yeah, I think just loads of mobility um, in that front line, maybe a slightly different way about going about it. Evans is a player I've always liked. Anthony Evans, watching him in, in Everton's under 23s, he's got a bit more guile, I would suggest, than the other three. So there's there's a decent balance there. And I think finally really well backed up by Coots and, and Whelan. Coots certainly has been coming in for some flack when I've been doing my research the last few weeks, but it it looked like he was um really at the forefront of some of their their well stopping the opposition and also starting Bristol Rovers attack. So it's a big win. Not going to get carried away considering the the opposition, but it is a big win because it was much needed for for Bristol Rovers against the struggling side. And it was almost as if you know, the the manager who suffered defeat in this match was going to come under enormous pressure and that's how it's proved.
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Quick shout-out to Sam Nicholson, uh, his second goal. For me, the most aesthetically pleasing type of goal you can get in football when it's low and it rolls all the way around the net from one post to the other. Absolute <laughs> thing of beauty. Uh, so Carlisle then, Clarkey, they, they fired up the corner flag JPEG. Their statement said, Carlisle United Football Club can confirm that head coach Chris Beach has left with immediate effect. Gavin Skelton and Eric Kinder will take temporary charge of first-team affairs. The club would like to thank Chris for his efforts over the past two years and will provide further updates in due course. We always sympathise with somebody when they lose their job but we can't say that this was a surprise. It feels like it's been coming for, for quite a long time.
2: It was inevitable. Uh, four losses in the last five and the fans growing ever more disillusioned really with with Chris Beach and, and the type of football that they were playing. Where I do have sympathy is, is over the recruitment. So, in the summer, they lost lots of good players. They lost their keeper, Farman, I think Tanner, Hayden, Bennett, Patrick, Zanzala, Coyote, players right down the spine of the field. And, and the ones that have come in are, are not really of the the same standard. And Carlisle do have a director of football, someone that really is in charge of the wheeling and dealing side of it, and David Holdsworth. And yeah, I just feel that he maybe hasn't hasn't helped his manager with, with some of the decisions that were made. So, so yeah, I do have a little bit of sympathy, but, but results wise, it's not been good and, and the football hasn't been very exciting either. I mentioned earlier that Swindon had made 121 sequences of 10 or more passes. Carlisle have made five. I mean, five, I mean, it's it's an embarrassment. You can't keep the ball for 10 passes over that period of time. That, so that, that tells you there's you know, it's low on confidence. The quality of the, of the football is not, is not great. They're not scoring enough goals. They're not keeping clean sheets. So they, they, they had to do something, I guess. Um, but whoever comes in has got quite a big job, I think, to, to, to get their own identity on the team and, and to work with the players at their disposal, because I, I do think this squad is, is significantly weaker than the one that was flying pre-pandemic.
1: Yeah, really big job based on those stats. Uh, Sam, I had a quick look at at the runners and riders according to the bookies. Gavin Skelton, the, the caretaker, is among the early favourites. John McGreal, Paul Tisdale, in there too. Can I interest you in fifty to one on Jimmy Glass?
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? X. Uh, he was on loan from Swindon. I have you know at that uh, that point when he scored the goal, um, that would be nice. Uh, I don't know. It, I think, anyway well, he did brilliantly for a period last year, didn't he, Chris Beach? But it feels like they need someone to go in there and, I, I don't know, revamp the place a little bit with a bit more of a plan. It, it, it's felt that they've been in the, the doldrums for a while now. Completely agree with, with Clarkey with the players. And, and what he's been left with as well is, I mean, the midfield we've always liked, Alessandra, yeah. Guy and Mellish, is, is not bad. And I think, you know, all of them have produced good performances, maybe not you know, completely consistently. But a good midfield three, I mean, such a youthful back five, you know, two really young centre-halves, inexperienced, and young, the centre-forward on loan from Villa at the moment. So I think really important positions on the pitch. They haven't got any depth, really. And at the moment, they're having to call upon really young guys to to try and get them some points. So it's going to be a big job for someone. Um, I saw Danny Granger, a former teammate of mine, former Carlisle player, being linked. But... He punched me in the face off the ball once, so I won't be uh, speculating that he should be given the gig. But yeah, I I don't know, just someone with maybe a bit more managerial experience, someone maybe that's showcased uh, um, a style of play at a previous club to go in there and, uh, and be consistent in the... In the um, in the way that the team wants to play, because I thought last year they were exciting for a period. This year, as Clarkey says, it's been been very direct and uh, and to no great success.
1: Uh, I'm just having a look on Google Maps, Adrian. Sol Campbell, mm. I believe, lives in Northumberland. Hour and twenty five from there to Carlisle mm. seems doable. He might be a
2: contender. <laughs> I'd love to see Sol back in. I really would. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he loves a challenge, doesn't he? Macclesfield and Southend United on his CV. I mean, blimey, he's a glutton for punishment. And and R fans will tell you that the current ownership, that they're not much better than than those two clubs that that, that we're talking about here. That, that, that there's a lot of frustration at a lack of ambition from the current ownership, so it sounds like it's right up Sol's Sol street, to be honest. Um, but yeah, they, they, need, they need a manager that, that can put their own imprint on the team really, really quickly and, and get them believing in something. Because at the moment, the fans don't believe in the ownership. They don't like the director of football and they, and they hate the style of football. So there's a lot of things that need altering.
1: Other than that, though, things are looking rosy. Uh, Abby, let's get some odds on the, the League Two relegation pitch. Carlisle are placing two points above the bottom two at the moment. So presumably they feature prominently in this section.
4: Yeah, they're their fourth. Favorites for relegation, according to Paddy Power, six to one for Carlisle to go down. Uh, is Scunthorpe and Oldham, though unsurprisingly, they are occupying those two relegation spots Scunthorpe, ten to eleven, Oldham, eleven to eight, and Walsall are the third favorites at four to one.
1: Thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, T's and C's apply, and when the fun stops, stop. <laughs> Uh, right, before we go, let's dust off the old soccer-base-inspired parking-clarky quiz, shall we? As last time, your questions pertain to the other's career. So, Sam, you're going first. Here's your question. We all remember the 28th of March 1997 as my 15th birthday. Uh, it was also the day that Adrian was a part of a South End side that lost 3-0 at Tranmere. The Tranmere team that day featured two current EFL managers. You can get a point for each. Name those managers.
3: Dave Challoner.
1: Spot on. He is rubbing his temples, listener, to try <laughs> and push that knowledge to the front. Keep of the
2: rubbing, Sam. Come on. It's going to come to you.
1: Challoner's um, correct.
3: I'm going to go for... Uh, it's going to be obvious. I can't think. All I can see is John Aldridge and Pat Nevin. But I'm going to go for Mickey Mellon. Did he play for Tranmere?
1: Oh, he did, but he wasn't playing in this particular game. Close. Great effort. Can you remember, Clarkey?
2: Nah, I, I, Give I, us didn't, a clue. I, I didn't even start to think about it. I was just leaving that to Sam. That Big
1: friend of the show. Time. Cookie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah when they Paul Cook. Wouldn't have got that. Yeah. All right, well, you got one, Sam, so you, you, you're in with a chance. Uh, Adrian, here we go. Boxing Day 2004 saw Sam score for Swindon in a 2-0 win at Peterborough. In the posh side that day, were a former world record holder... And a midfielder who would go on to become British light welterweight champion. Point for each, please. I'm so pleased <laughs> with this question, by the way. I, it took me a long time to to come up with it, but when I did, wow! I,
2: Leon McKenzie. Pr-
1: nope. Good guess, but not right.
2: Curtis Woodhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give mean, you half a point for that. Uh, who's the world
1: record holder, or was oh. it? It was. Um, it was taken from him. Was it? It was actually um, taken from him by Dave Challoner, and then by somebody else subsequently. Oh, oh so,
2: come yeah, on. A long throw specialist. Is it a Welsh? Is it someone that's Welsh? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going to need more than a vague pla- description of I their played, nationality. I played against him when he was at Cardiff. I'm sure of it. Uh, There's a certain
1: uh, irony to his world record, given his name. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, no. It's not, not going to happen Go on
1: Sam for the steal And to really rubber yeah, Your I'll, victory
3: I'll have Curtis Woodhouse And Andy Legg
1: Correct World's longest throw-in For a time Andy Legg What about that Hey, eh? <laughs> The opposite of Nominative determinism You might say Uh, Well done, listener, if you stuck around right to the end, particularly for that bit. Well done to Sam for winning the quiz as well. Thanks to Adrian and to Abby for their help this week and to you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday when we'll be previewing the return of the Championship and more. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye.
4: You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production.
3: The Athletic.